those of you who maybe haven't been here last week or two weeks ago, I'm in the middle of a series called Expectations. And uh, something about the new year always gets me thinking about what do I want out of this year? What do I want to change? Mine is usually I want to do something, learn something, gain something new more than I want to change things. Because I oftentimes think if I bring good things into my life, some of the stuff that I want to get rid of, I'll get rid of. And yet I also really do value the idea of self-sacrifice, giving something up. The first week, two weeks ago, we talked about Simeon, who goes to the temple to work in the temple. He dedicates babies. He does whatever needs to be done. And we talked about Anna. And it says she goes to the temple and she would fast and she'd pray. And she'd go there every day expecting God to do something. Simeon goes... And he believes, without a doubt, he's going to see the Messiah before he dies. And so he goes, waiting daily. Anna goes and works there, expecting God to show up. Different reasons that they went, but both went with an expectant heart. And they both, Simeon gets the Messiah. He says, I've seen the Christ. And then he calls Anna over and says, you've got to see this kid. This is the one. You almost can picture the little scene from Lion King. Alabina! <laughs> then last week, we talked about expecting. We come to church, we should gather, and we should have an expectant heart. It tells us in the scripture that we're supposed to seek and ask and knock and not give up. That we're supposed to come knowing that God's going to be here, knowing he's going to show up, expecting him to do something in me, expecting him to use me, in the lives of others. And sometimes we come expecting God. Sometimes we come expecting us to be used. But oftentimes we just show up to check off the box and say, well, I did that. It's part of my ritual. It's part of what I do. But we don't show up expecting to be used or expecting to encounter God. And when we don't show up with an expectant heart, we typically get exactly what we think we're going to get. Which is just, okay, that's done. I move forward now. But we're missing out on what God has for us. This week, I want to talk about the challenge of how to keep our faith strong when we come and we seek, but we don't see that thing that we want to see, that thing we need in our lives, that thing that we know that we're missing, that thing, whatever it is deep within us, that we need to see God do. And we've prayed for it and we've asked for it, and it hasn't happened. And so as we go to the text today, we're going to go to 1 John chapter 5 in a moment. As we go to the text today, I want you to just open your mind a little bit and ask yourself this. What is something in me that I'm wanting to see God do that I haven't seen? Because it's going to be different for you than it is for me. It's going to be different for me than it is for them. It's going to be different depending on where you're at at this point in your life. Some of you are approaching retirement and you're wanting to see God start your second act. Some of you are approaching maybe where you're about to get married or you've got young kids. You're in a different place. You're, you're asking and expecting God to do something in the life of your children, to bring them back maybe. We're in different places. We have different wants and needs and expectations. And yet, God doesn't criticize what he says over and over and over again throughout scripture is, bring those things to me. Cast your cares on me. Don't carry this burden alone. He cares so deeply that he already knows, and yet he wants you to engage with him in community. So 1 John chapter 5, 
Remember, this is John, the disciple, stood there while Jesus is crucified, the only one we have record of being at the cross, the one that Jesus looks and says, asks to take care of his mother and calls his beloved. This is him towards the end of his life. He's been exiled to an island, and he's writing a letter. And he's writing a letter to the people that he knows are followers of Christ. And that's where you have to understand that little bit of background so that you can grasp this. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13, says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, I'm writing to those of you who already know Jesus. This isn't a letter to those who don't know. This isn't a testimonial. This isn't evangelism. This is a letter to those of you who already know Jesus. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You're at a point now where John is about 85, it's about 50 years after Jesus was crucified, roughly, that he's writing this. And people are starting to wonder, isn't Jesus coming back? Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. In other words, don't get caught up in the minute and the trivial. Stop pointing fingers and start looking at yourself. Too often times it becomes really easy to go, well, it's okay for me to do this because I'm not as bad as that guy and they go to church. It's okay for me to have this because, well, you know, look at what they're doing and they shouldn't be like that. And so I'm going to tell them they shouldn't be like that and I'm, or more importantly, I'm going to tell those around me that they shouldn't be like that. And they'll agree with me and then I'll feel better about myself. Nothing will actually change, but I'll feel better about myself. And literally, John is looking and saying, stop it. Don't worry about the sin that they're doing. It's not leading to their death. What happens is it makes you feel like, well, I've been righteous. I've been above reproach. I'm not the one. And he's saying, come on, all sin, all unrighteousness is sin. And you're going to tell me you can't see any sin in your own life that you could be dealing with instead of that? Now, there's other places in scriptures that tells us how to confront someone when we see them in sin. But right here, John's looking and saying, come on. Deal with your own stuff first. Deal with your own yard. Deal with your own house. Deal with your own garbage that you know is going on. And let's not worry about, well, this person is famous and well-known, and look at what they're doing. Let's not worry about, well, look at that person is in leadership at our church, and that's how they act. Let's worry about who we are and what's going on in us. Here's a few things the text tells us. This is a text that's written for the believers. So stop expecting those who are not as mature, those who are not as strong, those who don't necessarily, haven't known God as long, don't know God at all, stop expecting them to live to your standard. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as a church is being angry that people don't live like us with our morality and our standard. Because I look and I go, the church is struggling every day to keep the standard and even figure out what it is. And so, why are we so busy worrying about those who don't when we should be going, God, how do I live this more? This text is not written to condemn you. Literally, 
John earlier says he's writing this to strengthen your faith, to challenge you and to strengthen you. And so he's looking and saying, you guys, you're struggling. But let me tell you, Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he's going to do, and he's going to continue to do that. Have, rest assured, you have eternal life. Now stop worrying about these sins that these other people are committing. Number two thing it tells us in this text, God hears our requests. He knows When we call out to him, he knows. Number three thing, pray for your brother that is sinning. A sin not leading to death. See, that's hard because it says all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that leads to death and sin not leading to death. And I would say this is one of the most widely disputed passages of Scripture I've ever tried to teach on. I read commentary after commentary, and have differences of ideas and opinion, which isn't totally uncommon. But even scholars who are more aligned with my traditional, more conservative theology struggle to understand what this is talking about. But in this context, what it's likely saying is not don't pray for people that are struggling, but understand this. There are people that you're praying for But your prayer without action is irrelevant. If you're not loving those people, if you're not serving those people, if you're just standing there praying for them because they're just a bunch of lost souls, you're wasting your time. Not because the Holy Spirit can't act, but because God already knows what's going on with them and is already using the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires to use us to impact their lives. God is continuing to work in ways we cannot understand. And too often times, because I don't see it and it doesn't match my picture of how it should be, then God must not be hearing me and he must not be doing anything in them. And so they're a terrible sinner and they're going to hell and I shouldn't pray for them anymore is how some people will take this. That's not what John is saying. What John is saying is, if all you're going to do is stand there and pray for them and not get out there and love them because they're different than you, their ideas are different, the way they're living is different, then stop doing it. Get out there and let your actions. And I don't know what that looks like because that's going to look different for different people. Other places in Scripture, we see that nobody is beyond redemption. And so if I'm praying for my brother or praying for a person who doesn't know Jesus, sometimes it's easy to go, well, they're just such a bad sinner. They're just going to get what they deserve. And yet God over and over reminds us nobody's beyond redemption. From the very beginning, humanity sinned. And Adam sins, and yet he begins the process for redemption. That literally through Adam's genealogical line, he sends Jesus. Abraham lies. David commits adultery. David has someone murdered. I could go over and over and over. I got a bunch on David. Saul kills Christians. Thomas, who walked with Jesus for three years, doubts the resurrection until I touch him. He's going to poke it. Peter denies Jesus, and yet that's who Jesus decides is going to be the founder of the church. Man, Jesus picks a bunch of mess-up people. He should have picked better. He should have had me help him pick. He should have waited, come now, and let me pick, because I'd pick good people. Over and over and over, we see these people who deny, betray, persecute, kill.
kill. And Jesus uses them. No one is beyond redemption. And it becomes really easy for us to go, well, their sin is so bad. You, Jeff, you don't know what they do. You don't know what they say. You don't know what political party they like. You, and it doesn't matter what political party you are. Believe me, the opposite party has told me what's wrong with that party. In my position, I'm told a lot of things about what's wrong with this party or that party. And I just remain neutral and go, yep, we live in a broken world, don't we? Nowhere in here in this text does it say, confront the sinner or get in their face. What it tells us is to love them. And it reminds us that no one's beyond redemption. Another thing the text tells us is that all sin, all unrighteousness is sin. In other words, deal with your own stuff. Don't just go after the other person. You've got stuff going on in your life. Does it mean we never have to confront things? Nope. But it means our focus shouldn't be on other people's problems and issues all the time. Our focus should be on what's going on in here because he's got a great plan for us. But we've got to deal with stuff. And that goes back to towards the end of last year when I preached the sermon and I said it's hard because we as Christians, we want to, for the most part, we want to do what's right and we want to make sure that everything is good. But we also don't want to be the worst person in the room. So we want to make sure that people know, well, that person's worse than me. Or that person gets to do it, so that makes it okay for me. And I've said before, just because somebody does it and God doesn't strike them down doesn't mean that it's right for us, spiritually, morally, ethically, or even just in our walk with God. I have friends who I think they're righteous people. They're pastors. They're leaders of great organizations that live in certain ways that I wouldn't do what they're doing. Because I don't believe that God has given me that freedom. And yet it's not my job to condemn them or tell them what to do. It's my job to love them and let the Holy Spirit do His work. Here's a few things that throw people off because these are things the text doesn't say. Number one, prayer is not a guarantee to get what we want. This is where we're going to really get into today's the unmet expectations. I pray because I want to see God do something, but what happens when He doesn't do what I want? You can't manipulate God, and there's no formula. I told you for a while I was trying to figure out how to be more effective at prayer and how to be more consistent in prayer. And everything I kept coming across were these formulas. If you'll pray like this, if you'll do the prayer of Jabez, if you'll follow the Lord's Prayer and do these steps, if you'll do these things, then God has to do what you want. It's in God's nature. He has to. And I'm like, wait, the very nature of God says that you and I don't get to pick what God does and doesn't do. God doesn't defy his nature, but you don't, believe it or not, in your 20th, 21st century mindset, do not know everything there is to know about God. You are not equal to him, you are not smarter than him, and you can't outfox him by coming up with a system. You do not know the date of his return. Nobody does. And when people start telling you that, you know that it's a lie. And remember, the first predictions of Jesus' return, now I'm not talking about the disciples expectant, but the first written prediction we have of Jesus' return is in the year 354. 1,700 years ago, Jesus was coming back, and they knew it mathematically. That was the first written prediction. I'm not saying it was the first prediction, but the first that we have written down of how they knew Jesus was coming back. You guys, it's nothing new. When you see it on the news this year or next year, that how this comet was the sign of this thing in this... No. Stop it. (laughs) People send me these things, and I'm like, 
Do you ever even listen to me? Do you know me? I don't believe you. I don't believe you figured it out. Because it tells us, Jesus even says, no man knows, not even I, just the Father. There's no formula. And so that makes it hard because it's easier if I can say, if you'll do this prayer when the super wolf blood moon happens, (laughs) then you will get every wish granted. It's so much easier if I do that. But it's also not true, and it's manipulation. And I'm telling you now, stop trying to manipulate people, even for the right reasons. Let's let God be God and us go with an open heart to petition him and to call out and say, God, this is what we need in our lives. And trust God to be there, and when he doesn't do it in the way you want, stop saying, well, God must not be real, or he'd have done what I wanted. Second thing the, per, the text doesn't say is that prayer fixes everything. Many times, there's still issues there, even though you prayed. You prayed for your marriage to be restored, and it didn't happen. You prayed for this person to be healed, and they died. You prayed to be strong in this area, and you fell. You prayed for a new job. You prayed for this. You prayed for that, and it didn't happen, so God must not be real. God must not hear me. I must be doing something wrong. You guys, it's not a giant slot machine. It's not put in your quarter and make three picks of songs you want. God is bigger than that. And he's looking at you and saying, I want to have relationship with you. I want to have dialogue with you. I want to talk back and forth with you, not just give you what you want when you want it. Another thing it doesn't say, that you should give up because things didn't happen the way you wanted. Sometimes people will say, well, right here, is, if you read on, it's talking about um, knowing the truth and rejecting that which is false. And so that means that if it didn't happen, then it was now to God's will. And we stop doing that. Because most of the time we don't do that to ourselves. We do that to other people. If you're in the will of God, you're going to see things happen. You know what? That's not the way it works either. Do I want to be aligned with God's will? Absolutely. But I have cases and cases and cases of times where Jesus says, pray for people. Now, we only have the stories of where Jesus prays for people and they're healed. We have the stories of where the disciples walk by and by their very shadow, people are healed. We have the stories over and over and we love those stories. But I'm here to tell you today that not every person that was prayed for throughout history has been healed. And none of the people that Jesus prayed for are still walking the earth today. Not even the ones he raised from the dead. So, does that mean Jesus isn't real because Lazarus isn't still here? No. It means that we pray in faith. We trust God to come through and complete these things. But our prayer life is not built on whether or not we got what we want. And yet it doesn't say if things don't happen the way you want, then you can stop praying. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. Too often times, if it doesn't work, we want to stop praying. But Ephesians 6.18 says this, Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers. Press into God. Press into that relationship and that communication. Press into him for what he wants to do in you and through you, not just what he wants to do around you. 
Not just how he wants to use you to be an instrument of his, but stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Prayer is a tricky thing because I've heard, you know, I know that there's churches out there that have prayer service every night of the week and people show up. I know that there's a church in L.A. that has 24 hours of prayer a day and it's been going for 30 or 40 years. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of praying. They get thousands of requests and they pray for every one of them. And I admire that. Because the one thing they got going is, boy, they are persistent in their prayers. And yet at the same time, I don't condemn the person who doesn't even know God but calls out in desperation. I've read the statistic many times. 91% of people believe that God exists, but 94% of people will pray. That means 3% are, I don't believe in God, but I'm throwing something out there just in case. You know what? God doesn't discount them. He doesn't listen to them any less. And he doesn't listen to me more because I've got a perfect attendance record at church. God desires relationship. Relationship comes from communication. You want a good marriage? Learn to communicate. You want a good relationship with God? Learn to communicate. Because if you can't communicate, then you're not going to do, you're not going to grow in that relationship. And that means sometimes you sit there silently and just listen and just be and just in the presence of God. Here's three things I've learned about prayer. They're not three things that are going to make your prayers come true. They're just things I've learned about prayer over the last probably seven, eight, ten years. Maybe even longer, but if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes prayer feels like I'm just yelling out into a void or whispering out into a void or however you want to put it. But I'm just talking and there's nothing. My question for then is, for me, is... If that's how it feels, and I, I believe I've experienced God in other ways, why am I not experiencing God during this time? I think that says more about me and my faith and my belief than it does about God, because I believe that God is unchanging. And if God is unchanging, and he did this 2,000 years ago, and he did this 10,000 years ago, and he did this 20,000 years ago, if God was working and moving then since the beginning of time, and I, I'm not experiencing God, Maybe it's me. Just maybe it's me and not him. And if it's me, not what formula can I come up with, but what do I need to evaluate about my own heart? I'm not talking about manipulating God and making him heal the person I want healed, but I'm talking about just in communication. I'm not hearing. I'm not experiencing. I'm not connecting with God. Then maybe that's me and not God. And if it's me, what about me What about my unrealistic expectation? Or what about what's going on inside me needs to be changed and dealt with? Second question that I have is, uh, or second thing about prayer is, um, prayer shouldn't be about us as individuals. Yes, I want to see people healed, but do I want to see people healed because I care about people experiencing God? Or do I want to see people healed because I want people to go, you know, my pastor, when he prays for people, they get healed. I remember being given a business card one time and it said, Apostle, Prophet, Healer. And I was like, wow, that's three job titles I don't think I could live up to. (laughs) But they gave me their business card and said, if you ever need me to come and do a special service at your church, let me know. 
no thank you. <laughs> Stick that back here in my pocket. Do I want to see God heal people? Absolutely. But I'm going to go back to the Reformation, back to Martin Luther, and say, the work of the Lord is done by the work of the people, not the work of an elect, select priesthood. The work of God is done by you as much as it is by me. Is he saying, is Martin Luther saying priests can't do it? No, but he's saying you can. And when people will say, Jeff, you need to hold a week-long prayer service, and I always go, no, but you're welcome to, and I'll even let you use our building and turn the heat on for you. And I will try to show up a couple of nights. Because the work of the Lord is to be done by the people. Jeff, you should have this person come in. They talk all about this. And most of the time when I hear these talks, it's a formula for here's how you get people healed. Here's how you pray. I went to a seminar once on the prayer of Jabez. Do you know what the prayer of Jabez is? It's one verse in Chronicles. And then an entire book was written about it. And I wasted eight hours going to a seminar on two sentences in the Bible on how to do it. And I left going, well, that was dumb. At least I realized it as soon as I walked out. I wish I'd have realized it before I walked in. Do I not trust the prayer of somebody in the Old Testament? No. But should I have built believing this formula is going to crack the code? It took us 2,000 years to get there, but we finally cracked the Jesus code. It's when people tell us we're the one true denomination or the one true movement. I'm like, oh, I weep for you and your followers. Because do you really think after it took 2,000 years for Jesus to really become alive? Are there churches that where I see things and I go, wow, I wish the Holy Spirit would move in our church like that? Yes. But it's not because I got to be like them. It's because I want you to experience real and good things. But you know what else? There's a lot of weird, goofy stuff that happens in the name of God. And it's my job as much to protect and lead, or to lead the sheep, to protect the sheep. And sometimes I say, it's not that that's a bad thing, but let's let those who are ready for that come to it. You know, my son is in a college math class right now, and I don't even understand what he's doing, and I graduated college. Um, but I, I would almost venture to say, if I handed that book to most of you except for Jennifer, who's a math teacher, but to most of you, if I handed you that book and said, opened it up in the middle and said, here, do this, most of you would go, there's probably a couple of you who go, oh, Jeff, this is easy. I'll tell you that. People that know things always tell you it's easy. But most of you couldn't do it. I built a house in Mexico. I've been on 14 different times when I went down on trips to build houses. My first time, I was like, yeah, I know how to nail two two-by-fours together. How hard can it be? And it's a whole different thing when you're standing there, not with blueprints, but with pages of paper going, here's what you do. So my first trip, okay, here, I'll nail these two boards together. Second trip, okay, this is what we're going to do. By my 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th trip, I literally was a team build lead in building. But I'll tell you this also. I could not walk onto any construction site in this country and go, okay, here's what we need to do, fellas. Or people, I don't want to exclude the ladies. Here's what we need to do, gals. I can't. What I did is I learned how to do one thing one way. But that doesn't make me a master builder. Some of you know, some of you could probably pray circles around me in your eloquence. 
But it needs to be about your conversation with God, not about how good you are. I love spending time in prayer, but not because I'm trying to get something out of God, but because I'm trying to know him more. And if it's just about what I can get from him, I'm missing out on what he wants to do in me. Third thing I've learned about prayer is prayer leads me to be more honest with myself and more vulnerable. Honest with myself. Why am I asking for this? Because if I'm petitioning God for something, the question comes down to why. And more vulnerable, am I willing to trust God with an answer that I don't want? Am I willing to trust God? What am I going to do? I always say, when I pray for someone to get healed, two thoughts always go through my mind. God, what happens if they don't get healed? And then the second thought is, oh no, God, what happens if they do? Because either way, if they don't, then I feel like I'm a failure. And if they do, then I go, oh, these hands. Who's next? (laughs) God, I don't want to be arrogant and believe I have the formula, but I don't want to be afraid because it may not happen the way I want. Now, maybe none of you struggle with insecurities in your life, and that's great if you're beyond this. And if this is just for me and one other person, then I hope that you walk out of here with it. But if I want to come with an expectation, I have to know that sometimes my expectations are going to leave me disappointed. My expectations may not be met because it didn't happen the way I want, the time I want, how I want, but it doesn't make it any less real. So here's the three questions I'm asking as I end today. Am I able to trust God no matter what happens when I pray? Am I able to trust God no matter what happens? Do I want to see people healed? Absolutely. Do I want to see our church used as a place of healing for people? Emotional, spiritual, physical, mental? Absolutely. We're going to continue to have prayer on Thursday nights. We're going to continue to offer prayer during services. We're going to continue to have pre-service prayer every week because we believe that God wants us to be in communication with him. But am I willing to trust God no matter what happens? Number two, is what I'm praying for of eternal consequence or temporal? Not a right, wrong question, but it's a question I ask myself often. Why am I praying for this? Jeff, why is that what you're praying for? Why is that tugging at your heart and number three if God answers yes then what does that strengthen my faith does that strengthen the faith of the person who's prayed for because that's the purpose of it we're all broken we're all going to die do I want to see you know it's hard when our friend that's you know 37 dies of cancer but when grandpa's 97 and hasn't really gotten out of bed for two years and passes away, we're kind of like relieved a little bit. Or at least maybe you aren't. Maybe you're thinking right now, you're cold and heartless. But I've known many people who go, ah, oh, it's really time for my dad to go home and be with the Lord. I have a friend that I grew up with this week that posted on social media, his dad died two weeks ago. His dad was 90, 94, 95. He's like, I'm just glad that he's done suffering. And I'm like, so you're glad your dad died? No, I didn't say that. I just said, you know, Kind of, he was a great man, and I'm glad that he left you such a great legacy. But why am I praying for this? And if God says yes, then what? What is my reaction? What is my response? Because I want God to be in in communication with me and in communion with me, not just doing what I ask him to do. 
And so I have to ask, what's my motive and what's going on in me? And I'm going to continue to pray for people to be healed whether I see the miraculous or not. Because that's what the example is. I'm going to continue to pray and have conversation with God whether I feel like I'm screaming into a void or not. Because that's something that goes on in here. But see, God desires, no matter what our expectations are, to continue to come to him. And when our expectations didn't get met, when our expectations left us feeling sad or lonely or empty or let down, it doesn't mean God's not there. And we have to change our perspective to begin to understand God's there in a bigger picture and in a broader way, no matter what's going on in your temporal. Because he's dealing with the eternal. And he sees a bigger and a broader picture. I've told you before, my faith has been shaken. When I worked at a hospice hospital, and we had a four-year-old girl there, and I prayed for her, and she looked like my daughter. She had blonde hair and blue eyes. And I would go and I'd read children's books to her, just to give her parents like a 30-minute break. And I would sit there with her, and we'd play games, and most of her hair was coming out, and we would talk, and she didn't live. And I looked, and I said, God, why? And you know what? He still hasn't told me. In his big picture, why does a four-year-old have to die when, like I said, down the hall, I got somebody who's 93 that's been hanging on for seven months in hospice? God, where's the justice in that? I can't answer that, but what I know is this. God is faithful. God is who he said he is. And just because I can't, in my small mind, comprehend it, I don't have pat answers for those parents. I don't have any answers. All I can do is say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And your daughter was beautiful and incredible and amazing. That's all I got. But am I willing to be Jesus with flesh and blood in that moment of their pain? And am I willing to just stand there by them and say, I don't understand, but I believe the reality of God still? Because that's when I have to ask myself, my expectations didn't get met. So do I give up and quit, or do I continue to move forward? And I've made my choice. But at some point in your life, you're going to have to make that choice for yourself. Just because it didn't happen the way I wanted makes God no less real. Let's be a people who go in knowing our expectations may not be met, but knowing that God is still doing things. Father God, I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you, God, that you meet us right where we are. It says that every perfect gift comes from you. May we begin to understand that, and may that change how I live and how I respond. God, may the reality of that impact me so deeply that my first choice, my first response in all situations is to go to you in prayer. Believing, agreeing, and expecting great things. God, in this year, may I come into this place expecting you to move. May I walk in here with an expectant heart. May I invite and encourage people expecting you to do great things into their lives. God, this year of expectation, we know that you'll never fail us, but God, we want to see you moving in us and through us. Let us see and experience that in real ways this year. In your name, amen.
Don't forget, we'd love to have you in our directory. Again, there is no pressure, no obligation. It does not mean you are or are not a member. It's just we like to have people's names because we like to have them on the email list. We like to communicate with you what's going on and what's coming up. So if you want to be in the new directory, it'll be out next month. It's good for two years. That's right. We put them out every two years. So make sure you fill out a card. You can give it to an usher. You can drop it in the uh, uh, little information box where you can also drop your offering if you prefer to give that way. And just know that we would love to have you be a part of that. So otherwise, I will see you next week. Have a great week.